0: Good evening, good evening, good evening. Women and gender, modern debate. As different city states successfully dominated the Mesopotamian region, laws governing the patriarchal family changed, tending to become progressively harsher and more restrictive towards women. For example, the code Amurabi circa seventeen fifty two BCE limited the time for which a man could pawn his wife or children to three years and expressly forbade beating or, or oppressing these debt pawns. But later, Assyrian law circa one thousand two hundred BCE omitted these protective measures and explicitly permitted beating dead pawns, piercing their ears and pulling them by the air. Assyrian law also permitted a husband to pull out his pull out the hair of his wife, mutilate or twist her ears with no liability attached to him when punishing her. Again in the code A uh, Murabi, men could easily divorce their wives, particularly if they had not born children but were liable to fines that's divorce money and were required to return the dowry. The later Assyrian law codex apparently allowed the husband to decide whether the wife received anything following the divorce. If a signor signor wishes to divorce his wife, if it is his will, he may give her something. If it is not his will, it need not give her anything she shall go out empty. Okay. According to the code, um Rabi, women could obtain a divorce only with great difficulty. If a woman so hated her husband, the code states that she has declared she may not that you may not have me. A record shall be investigated at a city council. And if she was careful and was not at fault, even though her husband was has been going out and disparaging her greatly that woman without incurring any blame at all may take a dowry and go up to her father's house what a, big, what a beautiful intro Ahala. so you can imagine what we're about to get ourselves into page 55. in any case men were permitted to have there's no context yet but when we get there i'll explain in any case men were permitted to have sexual intercourse with slaves and prostitutes adultery by the wife and her partner however was punishable by death although according to to the code amurabi the husband could choose to let her live, that's if he catches her cheating but he can sleep with slaves and prostitutes if the father recognized the children of a concubine as, as his, those offspring had the right to inherit equally with the children of the wife. If the father did not recognize them, they and their mother nevertheless gained their freedom when the father died. Imagine how those women would have felt. They would have been so anxious. Like, is this man going to claim the child? Is he not going to claim the child? What will become of me and my child? Wahala. Wow. <laughs> um I think that's it, right? Royalty often maintain large arams. Arams is um arams are like a cohorts of women, concubines and wives in a place all belonging to one man. I say belonging because we are more or less property. Royalty often maintained large Arams, consisting of both wives and concubines, though they were considerably smaller than Arams under the Persian Sassanids who ruled the region from 224 to 640 CE. immediately prior to its conquest by the Muslims. The Aram of an Assyrian king of the 12th century BC, for example, consisted of approximately 40 women, That of a Sassanian king, shortly before the Muslim conquest, considered of some (sighs) 12,000... That scared me. 12,000 women. I couldn't even say, well, 12,000 women for one person... Uh, yeah yeah. was well, thinking Solomon was doing the most 12,000 12,000 he did not sleep with one woman twice except he really liked her 12,000 what type of man has 12,000 women does he value life? 12,000 <laughs> my mind is blown the rules on veiling like covering your face. We're talking about Muslims, yes so the rules on veiling specifying which women must veil and which could not were carefully detailed in Assyrian law. Wives and daughters of signors had to veil. Concubines accompanying their mistress had to veil. Former sacred prostitutes not a sacred prostitutes now married had to veil. Bohalots and slaves were forbidden to veil these courts illegally veiling those courts illegally veiling were liable to the penalties of flogging having pitched poured having pitch poured over their heads and having their ears cut off uh, the law on this matter is analyzed at some length by gardalina and, and it's an ana- analysis that we ought that we hold the insights that the veil served not merely to mark the upper classes, but more fundamentally to differentiate between res- respectable women and those who were publicly available. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> mm. In addition to... We're talking about, like, the BC period. The entire book traces the history of um, Islam. In relation to gender and feminism, so this part that we're talking about just the BCE part like before christ b c is not before Christ right um I read it one time I can't remember um, I don't remember they changed it at some point, so it's b c before Christ then they changed it because they didn't want it to be. Only about Christ because we have so many religions now so they didn't want it to be only about Christ so they changed it to BCE but I don't remember what BCE stands for um in addition to marrying other members of the elite I still I'm not pronouncing that word right and wielding power and influence on public and economic life by virtue of natal or marital status Upper-class women could also play an important role in the economic and legal life of the society as priestesses or servants of the gods. Women, mostly from the upper class, became naditom by being dedicated to the gods in childhood by their fathers. They not only owned property, but also had advantages over other women in that they could inherit property like a son. Their property returning their property returning to their patriarchal family on their death, okay. They engaged in business, least field. It's like those women in the Bible, like the very first place where women were allowed to inherit in the Bible was where um they didn't have anybody in their family. They didn't have males in their family. I think all of them died. So when they brought it before Moses or the elders, um they sought the face of God and God told them to leave the but this they were not priestesses they were just regular women and um, god told them to leave the property to them and that if they were to if they then married then the property would be transferred to their husbands still the same um women no um owning property see the same the same thing. um but this is me hoping that the conditions of I don't know this book is going to tell us more. Um, they not only own property, but they also had advantages over other women in that they could inherit property, like a son. Their property returned to their Petraca family on their death. They engaged in business, leased field houses, bought slaves. At this point, I think I would have just been wishing that my dad, um, <laughs> um, what the what's the word for it now? um uh, dedicate me as a priestess so I'll be able to do all these things like uh, uh. um 90 Some women lived together in convent-like institutions okay, this is part I don't like <laughs> can I live alone? marriage just was rare but not forbidden oh they were allowed to marry too wow these women could marry and still own things Wow. Why does your father just um, decide to, like, dedicate you to the goods? What motivates your father? Besides, playing an important part in the economic life of the community... Besides playing an important part in the economic life of the community and ensuring that property remained within the patriarchal family, the institution of Narditum clearly serves the interests of the ruling class by cementing ties between the elite and the temple priesthood. The laws giving women property rights and allowing them to enter contracts, bear witness, and engage in business benefited women of other classes as well. Women worked as potters, weavers, spinners, hairdressers, agricultural workers, bakers, singers, musicians, and brewers, and occasionally, even in occupation, require lengthy Training periods such as that of a scribe. Documents attest to their buying, selling, and renting property and buying and selling slaves, including slaves who were, who were used as prostitutes to provide an income for their mistresses. Wow, they were really part of everything. Contracts were sometimes used to modify the terms of marriage, as in the marriage of, of Amos Sakal to a priest this is in circa 1737 bc that's the time that we are right now and in mesopotamia region that's where we are in space oh, excuse me i always burp um in my um videos i say videos in my podcast because i eat right before i start to record right before i have to record so the food is settling i apologize which gives uh equal rights to and equal penalties for divorce contracts could also protect the wife from being liable to enslavement for her husband's debts though this safeguard was presumably confined to classes that had the leverage to impose such terms let's move on by losing understanding let's go let's go page 77 seven. the Paramount's religion among the upper class zoroastrianism zoroastrianism if you want to know more about that go research it zoro like no know zoro z-o-r-o-a-s-t-r-i-a-n-i-s-m zoroastrianism a monotheist religion perhaps dating as far back as the first millennium BCE. During the sasanian period, Zoroastrianism grew in power and influence and eventually became the state religion, especially establishing the regulations that govern male female relationships among the upper class. The Petraka family, as endorsed by this church, it was a church at least in this period of its history, demanded the wife's total obedience to her husband. She was required to declare, I will never cease all my life to obey my husband and was subject to divorce if she failed to do so. She was also required every morning on rising to present herself before her husband and nine times make her obeisance, arms extended in greeting to him, as men did praying to Omar's, I don't know, Name of their God, producing a male hair was religiously enjoyed and the various marriage arra- arrangements that were possible reflected the priority placed on men's producing male heirs. If not directly, then through their daughters or other female kin. Ooh, mm, they could sleep with their daughters and their other female kin. Th- thus, the daughter of a man who had produced no heir offspring has to be given in the form of marriage in which the offspring, and in particular the male offspring, belonged to our father also a patriarchal family if he died in such a marriage, a woman had fewer rights than in a patak, Ashan, Ashan marriage I went to google that all that came out was this book they brought out the part of this book for me they did not. nobody told me the meaning of anything but they explained it a bit here. Um, In such a marriage, a woman had fewer rights than in a Patakashian marriage, in which the children belonged to her f- husband. So, that type of marriage. Similarly, widows of men who had produced no hairs entered into marriages in which the offspring belonged to the deceased husband's family and which they did not have the rights of Patakashian women. The only types of wives entitled to be treated as mistress of the house a man could also loan his wife to another man without her consent the terms of the loan being specified by contract. <laughs> this practice was recorded sorry this practice was recommended in particular when a widower could not afford to marry Yet required a woman to supply sexual services and to raise his children. Any offspring that might ensure belong to the husband, according to the belief that a woman is a field, all which grows there belongs to its owner, even if he did not plant it. Wife lonely was regarded by Sasanian jurists as a fraternal act, an act of solidarity with a member of us community, which was sanctified as a religious duty. Wow. Husbands had rights to property acquired by the wife after the marriage unless a contract had specified otherwise if she disobeyed him. She lost even those contract contractually she lost even these contractually specified rights. A disobedience had to be proven in court. Then the court issued a certificate of disobedience. A woman inherited the share of her father's property that belonged to her. Although the husband was... You saw, Fructuary. <laughs> if she died childless, it reverted to her father's family. Okay. Things are not going great. They are... They are actually, they are not going great. At all. Zoroastrianism in Iraq. As distinct from Iran was principally the religion of the Persians, who predominantly constituted ruling warrior and priestly classes. The population as a whole was religiously diverse and included Gnostic, Pagans, Manichaeans, Jews, and increasing numbers. From the second century on, Christians, and from the second century on, Christians, both Jewish and Um, Christian communities were self-governing under the Sassanians and were generally tolerated along with other non-Zoroastrian groups, although they also underwent periods of persecution. The fortune of Christians, in particular, included the extent to which they were persecuted, tended to depend on the relation of the Sassanian Empire with its arch-rival, the Byzantine Empire, which adopted Christianity as a state religion in three hundred and thirty C. It also varied with the degree to which the Zoracian church felt threatened by Christianity at a given moment, the persecution. So if they are feeling angry, you die. Spreading first, perhaps chiefly, among the Aramean and and Arab populations of Syria and Iraq Christianity was increasingly adopted by Iranians as well, including members of the highest-ranking elite. For example, King the II, 591 to 620 AC, had two Christians among his wives. Okay. Women, as well as men, were among the early Iranian Christian martyrs, although the Christian church endorsed male dominance. The narrative of the female matters suggests that it nevertheless introduced ideas which opened new avenues of self-affirmation and independence to women and validated ways to resist the belief that women were defined by their biology and existed essentially to serve the function of reproduction. Thus, Christianity promulgated ideas that were fundamentally subversive, (laughs) <laughs> subversive of the Zoroastrian social order in two ways. It enabled women to claim spiritual and moral authority and affirmed their own author- their own understanding of the moral order in defiance of male priestly authority and undercut the notion of which Zoroastrian laws on women were grounded. that reproduction was their primary function. Yay, Christianity! With one exception, every case of Christian Matadon, collected by Sebastian, Brooke, and Susan Harvey in Holy Women of the Syrian Orient, features a woman who took a vow of chastity. The issues of chastity and of resistance to marriage were the central conflict in the battles of Wales between the, the prosecuting Zoroastrian the priest and each woman to matter Mattered in the 4th century. As a Zoroastrian priest even declared that she might continue to be a Christian, all that he required was that she renounced her virginity, a condition particularly abhorrent to Zoroastrian moors. Um, observe Brooke and Harvey. The priest proclaimed, Listen to me and don't be stubborn, obstinate, following your own perverted wishes in everything. Instead, seeing that you are set on not giving up your religion, act as you like. But do this one thing only, and you shall live and not die. You are a young girl, and a very pretty one. Find a husband and get married. Have sons and daughters. And don't hold on to the disgusting pretext of the covenant that is the vow of chastity. The wise virgin martyr replied, If a virgin is betrothed to a man, does the natural law order that someone else should come along, attack a fiance, and snatch away his girl who has already been betrothed or does it say that such a virgin should give herself up to marry a man who is not a fiance no answered Mobed. briefly taking in and believing matters to, be to be betrothed to a man the priest was momentarily sympathetic until he realized she was speaking of christ whereupon he exploded in rage saying i will splatter you from head to toe with blood and then your fiance can come along and find you turned into dust and rubbish Martha went to address thanking Jesus for preserving her virginity sealed up with the Im- with the imprint of the seal ring of our promise and for preserving my faith in the glorious trinity. y'all. Hey, yeah. She died. She went home. Tabo the extremely the accidentally beautiful sister of the Martha Sibion Bishop of Seleucia Tessifon had also taken a vow of chastity she a sister who was married but lived in chastity huh? she was married but lived in chastity i've never heard of him and her servant were accused of putting a spell on the queen who had fallen he- ill the priests who examined them sent tabo word that he would save them if she consented to be his wife you you Disgusting me from everywhere. (laughs) Was that the focus? (laughs) Tabo replied, Shut your mouth, you wicked man and enemy of God. Don't ever again utter anything so disgusting. That's my girl. That's my girl. Call that man disgusting. That's what he is. I am the betrayer of Christ. In his name I am preserving my virginity. I entrust my life to him since he's able to deliver me from your impure hands and from your evil intentions concerning me, foul and perverted mat. What do you crazily rave about something that is neither proper nor permissible? I shall die a heroic death, for thus shall I obtain true life. I will not live in an ignominious way and then eventually die. She and her companions were then subjected to gruesome death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so when the crucifix came people said dying because the religions that were present at that time didn't think the only way the only way women got like a bit of control over their life was that old chesty thing I think the others just did the normal way of Men and the religion promoted male dominance, so they followed that path. And those ones that did not follow that path, you heard what happened to them? some days for everybody. You gotta die. You gotta die. You gotta die. Everybody dies. That is great. Incredibly great. Up. Um, give me a minute. Christianity, by religious think as a particular, was to a certain extent an expression of a, re- of a rejection of physicality of the body, and in particular of sexuality, and it was a rejection that comprehended an, ele- that, that comprehended an element of misogyny, in that notionally women were seen as more implicated in physicality and the body than men. They were by cultural definition essentially sexual and biological beings this misogynistic element moreover was given clear expression in the writings of early christian religious thinkers as will be discussed in chapter two Two. nevertheless the church's emphasis on the merit of transcending the body and its valuing virginity and sexual purity in women as well as in men At the same time, radically struck at the root of the definition of women as essentially and exclusively biological beings that prevailed in many of the cultures of the region in that time. Celebrate independent women, women who consulted only their own will and that of their God, whom they consulted directly, constituted a challenge and a threat both to male authority and to the fundamental notions enshrined in the social-religious order of the day. Cost trouble, cause trouble. Um, as already suggested, ideas fundamental to Christianity the intrinsic value of the individual, the equal spiritual worth of men and women, and slaves and masters, and the superiority of virginity, even to wifely obedience, in some ways subverted ideas fundamental to the reigning patriarchies of the age. Indeed, the mere notion that virginity was superior to reproductiveness undercuts the idea that women's bodies and their reproductive capacity define the limits of their duties and proper aspirations. Yep. Yep. Maybe in I don't even want to say that. I'm not saying maybe in the spirit, like, one can be greater than the other. Like, one can be more mature spiritually than the other. But I can't even say that because there are some women that are mothers, you know... They're very focused. And because you're a virgin, that you've taken the chastity vows, doesn't mean that you are spiritually stronger than other people. It might just be that God wants you to be celibate so that you can better focus on, him. you know, maybe uh, you don't learn really fast. Maybe you have to repeat your lessons. Maybe having a child and having a husband will distract you so much from your purpose and what you ought to do and loving God there's also that so the whole idea of our virginity of people who stay celibate, being um better or superior to those who who decide to give birth get married and give birth is, is also misogynistic the subversiveness of these ideas however with respect to christian as well as non-christian formulations or male dom- dominance was merely discreet and implicit a few men were able to invoke the Christian ideals of virginity and celibacy to gain control over their lives sorry the study of Byzantine Byzantine women is still a new and developing field the account offered by cross Didier Cross D Martins one of the few authors to attempt an overview describes more lifestyles and attitudes towards women that are com- commonly associated with Muslim rather than Christian society. Thus, as the Martin's notes, citing Michael Sellers, um, the birth of a boy was greeted with cries of joy, but not that of a, of a girl. Daughters could be betrothed in infancy. So these things that they are describing now, they said they were more associated with Muslims than with Christian societies um, at the time of the Byzantine Empire. daughters could be betrothed in infancy and girls generally married by the age of 12 or 13. Middle and upper class girls were taught to read, write, count, and sing, but their education was generally rudimentary compared to that of their brothers. Proper conduct for women entailed that they be neither heard nor seen outside their home. Women were not supposed to be seen in public and were seen as clustered or clustered as prisoners. Although women and young girls might be allowed to leave the house to attend marriages, births, or religious events, or to go to the public baths, Barring some general disasters, women were also supposed to be veiled. The veil or absence, marking the decision between the honest woman and the prostitute. To exemplify how rigidly Byzantine societies viewed the veiling and seclusion of women, De Martins again cite Sellers, who, writing in praise of his mother, observed that she, veiled, she raised her veil in the presence of men for the first time in her life, when at her daughter's funeral, she was so distraught to care that she did so. Celeste also commended the Cesarissa seser, Irene for so scrupulously observing the imperative of concealing the flesh that she covered even her hands. Today, um, like some zealous Muslim women of today who have taken to wearing gloves, Okay. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Pre Christian Greek societies, so i moving from one society to another. Pre Christian Greek societies, and in particular, classical Greek societies, are among the few in this region in which women's lives have been systematically studied. In outlining some salient features of classical Greek societies, I have focused on customs regarding women that show continuity with the Byzantine customs just described, which indeed were probably in some degree common to the major urban areas of the Eastern Mediterranean in the early Christian era, including those of Syria and Egypt. Free women in Athens... In the classical periods, according to Sarah Pomeroy, were usually secluded so that they could not be seen by men who were not close relatives. An orator could maintain that some women were even too modest to be seen by men who were relatives. Huh. And for a strange man to intrude upon three women in the house of another man was tantamount to a criminal act. Men and women led separate lives men spending most of their time in public areas such as marketplace and gymnasium while respectable women stayed at home women were expected to confine themselves to their quarters and to manage the household care for small children and servants and supervise the weaving and cooking architecturally speaking the sexes were segregated in separate quarters with women inhabiting the rooms away from the streets and from the public area of the house Their clothing concealed them from the eyes of strange men. A shawl was worn that could be drawn over the head as a hood. The qualities admired in girls were silence and submissiveness. Orators praised women for their silence and invisibility and avoided mentioning the names of respectable women who were still alive. Mm, Infanticide, particularly of women, was probably practiced on occasion. According to Aristotle, here we go. The purpose of marriage and function of women was to provide heirs. Under Athenian law, a female heir was required to marry the next of kin on her father's side, even if she was already married. Eh? To produce a male, a male heir for her father's family. Athenian law regarded the wife as a veritable child having the legal status of a minor relation to a husband that's nice males came of age at 18. females never did they could not buy or sell land but could acquire property by gifts or inheritance even though such property was administered by male guidance guardians they did not even go to markets for food because of the belief that purchase or exchange was a financial transaction too complex for women. (laughs) I hope Aristotle can see us right now. And because of the wish to protect women from the eyes of strangers, Aristotle's um, theories conceptualized women not merely as subordinates by social necessity, but also as innately and biologically biologically inferior in both mental and physical capacities and thus as intended for their subservient position by nature it likens the rule of men over women to the rule of the soul over the body and of the mind and the rational element over the passionate okay the male is said is by nature superior and the female inferior and one rules the other and the one rules and the other is ruled man's nature is the most rounded off and complete woman is more compassionate but also more jealous more querulous more apt to excuse me more apt to scold and strike to strike huh. to scold and strike more void of shame huh? and self-respect more faults of speech more deceptive who are the women that these people knew? I'm very confused. These moral and mental differences were paralleled by biological ones. Thus, Aristotle saw female bodies as defective, woman being as as it were an important male, for it is through a certain incapacity that the female is female. The female is it. I don't know if they wrote it. Somewhere here, I'm not sure, but I read somewhere else that Aristotle thought mm, women are a deformity like something goes wrong in the womb, and that's why we have women. The female contributes to conception, was inferior, the male contributed the soul and gave form to the secretion of the female, which merely provided the material mass. Aristotle's influence was widespread and enduring they're always widespread and enduring his theories in effect codified and systemized systematized the social values and practices of that society they were presented however as objective scientific observations that were received by both Arabs and European civilizations as the articulation of eternal philosophical and scientific verities it's it's just the times it's the times People suffered for those times, but it's also the times. Let's calm down. During the subsequent Hellenistic Empire, women's position in Hellenistic societies outside Athens improved. This improvement is thought to reflect not only Athenians' interaction with other Greek societies that were less restrictive towards women, but also the influence of other Mediterranean cultures on the Greek. Let's stop there. So their life started to increase when they said to relate to other people. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Broadly, Pomeroy finds that there was less distinction between the genders in Ptolemic Egypt than there was, for example, in Athens or in Greek societies in general at an earlier period parallels can be found scattered elsewhere but no other Greek society of the Hellenistic period provides a comparable quantity and variety of documentation for women's increased participation in the economic and in the economy and the improvement of their economic status whereas Athenian democracy was based on oikos, that's that's um, their house in which the female's role was the production of as in Ptolemic Egypt, according to Pomeroy, there was no political concept of the oikos. are houses. A shared life, rather than a shared life rather than reproduction, was the purpose of marriage. Oh, you smart. I appreciate you. In further contrast, she notes there is little overt reference in Ptolemic Egypt to the production of children as women's primary contribution to the domestic economy. Unfortunately, Pomeroy compares Greek and Egyptian customs only in passing and never addresses the broad subject of the influence of the more egalitarian Egyptian laws and customs on Greek ones. A resolute avoidance of a direct discussion of the subject is striking, giving its centrality to a topic and findings. In another omission, she deals only with the Greeks in Egypt. Although the works of other... Blah, 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 blah. I always wonder Like, every time I find a book where they quote another person, I feel like they always point out what the person did wrong. That's the thing, right? So that's... To make your point, right. In a recent extended study of women in ancient Egypt, Jean. Asserts, it is beyond all doubt that the Egyptians never had any prejudice against the weak sex. Speaking specifically of the Middle Kingdom, that's 2060 to 1785 BCE, Vekotha observes, man did not consider himself a prior or as in essence superior. Consciousness of the equality of the sexes is profoundly anchored in Egyptian beliefs, and it was doubtless. This, which was to permit the progressive emancipation of women in the ensuing centuries of the new kingdom, so the Egyptians were more tolerant not even more tolerant, they, they just they thought they, they are equal, they thought they were their equal. Um, so, um, everything that I've talked about, there's not really been good. So now we're going to get to the part where Muhammad features. Muhammad, then 40 years old, received his first revelation. A vision of Angel Gabriel, commanding him to read. To read. Shivering from the experience. Excuse me. That was rude of me. Sorry. Um. Shivering from the experience, he hurried to Khadija who comforted him physically and mentally, wrapping him in a blanket and assuring him that he was sane. Later, she took Mohammed to her cousin, Waraka. She assured him he was sane. I don't want Muslims to come for me. So I'm not going to say what I want to say. Let's actually should um I didn't don't think it, and it's not really what you think that <laughs> what I wanted to say is what I what I wanted to say is quite different from what I just thought of now. I thought of something that I thought that you people think but <laughs> it's just silly now. <laughs> don't think anything. I just okay, well I was reading this, when I was reading this initially, I thought when it comes to prophets, like prophets, um, not prophets that we made religions around in the Bible. I'm talking about Bible. We have a lot of prophets. Prophets that did like incredible things too. Um, I've not read the Quran enough to know if Muhammad per, like performed miracles or anything like that. But he clearly had had a vision here. Um, I don't know if. I've also like Daniel, who remembers Daniel in the Bible. There's one part I read that um he had a vision. At the beginning of the chapter I was like I had a vision and the vision came an angel came to me, even me. Like it was surprised that they came to him. I'm thinking, In this entire land, Daniel, you're like the most righteous guy. I say even me I'm like okay, okay, okay. Then at some point he fell asleep. Then they had to drag him up. He was bending down, sleeping. They had to drag him up, and we're like, we're not done. Keep watching. Then after the whole thing was done, my guy fainted and he fell sick for days. That's what the Bible says. That he fainted, then he was sick for days before he ha- before he resumed work. These are mighty men in the Bible. These are prophets. This is what the Bible records as people who have connection with god they're able to actually talk to god you know and they're a they're powerful people so i understand how he will how he saw the angel and then he was scared and he doubted his sanity i understand that i'm not saying that he's not saying no i understand you know seeing heavenly things and being very confused um but the point i was trying to make that i didn't want to say was that we have prophets? Like we have many prophets in the Bible. I understand preaching Jesus also because Jesus didn't faint or anything. He didn't have to fall sick for days after having visions, and he didn't say anything about having visions. But like my, he had visions. He spoke to Moses and Elijah. Um, he had dove descend on him. He spoke to the devil. Our guy didn't fall sick after all those experiences. He didn't doubt the sanity. He knew who he was. Every time I read the Bible, I'm shocked mainly because um, it took a while to, for me to um, gain confidence in who I am and only because it, it it grew and we have to add maturity to that and then the fact that I read the Bible and God told me who I am, there's that part so my confidence is not necessarily in who I am like all the things that I've done and if I laugh in some situations or don't laugh at some jokes not that, like oh, God has told me that this is who you are and I pride myself on having that level of confidence but then every time I read the Bible, I'm just shocked by how Jesus like it's and every time I experience something like that I just pray like, father give me confidence like that confidence, that confidence like this guy was speaking things and it's only people who know themselves like you know yourself to your bones you know yourself to your marrow that can talk like that nobody talks like that nobody talks the way jesus talks nobody (laughs) like nobody talks how jesus talks and that was me still reading um i had like i had not completely given way to the holy spirit by then and me acknowledging that nah this is not normal this is not normal so um just if you're a muslim i think you should take some time to consider who jesus is not just as a prophet. Because Jesus did not, he did not think twice about who he was. He did not say, Name. He knew he was from the beginning. From the very beginning. You can hear the, the confidence in his words. You can hear him talking about himself, talking about what he has come for. Being bold enough, like I have come here today, to the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up those who are brokenhearted, and he closes it at the end of quoting that and like, today this scripture has been fulfilled, like who you be, how dare you <laughs> how dare you oh, okay okay, okay, go carried away Mohammed a Christian vest in the hold on, she took Mohammed okay, this woman that comforts him takes Mohammed to her cousin Baraka to whom she had been betrothed. A Christian versed in the Hebrew scripture. A Christian verse in the Hebrew scripture. Okay. Who confirmed what had um, evidently occurred to her? It said that Allah had also sent the angel Gabriel to Moses. Therefore, the Judeo-Christian framework was to be that, was to be that which muhammad declared was the framework of his prophethood okay that that i that's great you know it's quite great um khadija became his first convert the face of this mature wealthy woman of high standing in the community must have influenced others particularly members of her own important clan so a woman was his first convert ladies and gentlemen that hates women um I hope you are not listening to my podcast. And if you are listening to my podcast, I hope you're getting changed in Jesus' name, amen. Um from the earliest years women were among the converts, including women whose clients were firmly opposed to Mohammed. They didn't care. My girls, such as Um Abiba, daughter of Abu Sophia. Mohammed's formidable enemy. Mohammed had the formidable enemy. They were also among Muslims who, under the pressure of the growing Mecca opposition to the persecution of Mohammed and his followers, emigrated to Abyssinia. None of the women, however, is mentioned... This guy was collecting women. Baby. None of the women, however, is mentioned as having emigrated independently of her husband. Okay. It was during the period of persecution in Mecca that Muhammad spoke versus san- san- sanctioning the worship, along with Allah, of the three Mecca goddesses, the daughters of Allah, Alat, Manat, and Ouzah. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. A development that briefly appeased Mecca's. Okay, so it was adopting things from Mecca people. Um... Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, so I don't want to read all these parts. Um he gets married, I think, to a lady called Aisha. She was quite young and um he loved her the most more than all his wives. And at his death when he was on his deathbed he was trying to... He was asking them... Um, whose turn it was... And like, what day... So that they can... So I can figure out... What day... Um, it was I was going to go to Aisha's house... Like he had more wives... So... He kept thinking... Asking them... Like is it today... What day is it... Who is coming to visit me today... But eventually he... He came clean... Like he just wanted Aisha... He wanted his baby... And she came to him. It's a very romantic story. So, oh, do no, no, Question, question, question. Did I make this rule up in my head, or did I really hear it? That the only reason why Muslims, the only situation where a Muslim man can marry more than one wife is if he's able to love all of them equally and provide for all of them equally. Did I make that up? Well, Muhammad looked like Shah, according to this book, anyway. He loved that shaman that all the women they had in his house, all of them. And she somehow, somehow, somehow broke his heart a little bit when she left the camp to go and look for a necklace. It says here that she went to look for a necklace, but when she came back, people thought that she went to sleep with another man. Um, But he himself wrote that she didn't do that. So he must have trusted her a lot. You know, love, love, (laughs) love. Okay, so my back to my question. Then I don't want to cause trouble. Just I'm sure it's already in your head. Within ten years of Muhammad's death, Arab conquests had carried Islam to lands far beyond, and fundamentally different from Arabia, to societies that were urban and that, and that already had elaborate scriptural and legal traditions and established social mores. This societies were more ref- restrictive towards women and more misogynistic at least from so what they're saying here that muhammad was quite fine with women being part of it and they had this thing where men will pray together and then they will have a male leader then women will pray together and they will have muhammad when he did that he appointed a female leader but after the religion spread the beat, those they're saying that All these other places had their own scriptural and legal traditions. So when the religion spread and came to them, they added their own misogynistic views and they appointed man for men and then another man for women. La 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 la. I don't know how far that is true. I'm not a Muslim. I don't know what people believe. I don't know what they think the standard is. I'm not sure. Um, so I'm just reading what I have here. If it's true, if it's not true, kind let me know. I want to be enlightened. Teach me thy ways. With respects to women warriors. Kharijis argue that in the, in this case the practice was, was legitimate and indeed a religious requirement for women because women had accompanied Muhammad on his military expenditures and fought in his battles in fact a number of Khariji Car- women won renowned for their prowess in battle among them Ghazala, who defeated Al-Hajab in a door in a door the orthodox who opposed jihad for women killed and exposed naked the women captured in their battles with the carriages uh, i think you can guess the rest my my brothers and sisters to the days that we have now that that was all i was able to get i only read to like page 100 and something was I distracted? What was I thinking? No, 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 100 and something. More. Like, over 200. I, I read more than that. I read more than 100 and something. Next time, I'm going to choose a smaller Smaller books that are... That compress knowledge. Or people that know to compressed knowledge. Because what I found this last... um last week and this week, is there's no need for your book to be over a thousand pages long. There really isn't. You split it into parts and two if you think there there's actually a need for, for that. But don't make it to one thousand pages. Pe- what? Uh-uh. what is it? Now only you. Think you. I don't know. There, there's one particular book that I last week I read on homosexuality. There was one book that was really really long and it was on the issue of homosexuality, and then I read another book, and it it just followed it. Told us the issue of um. It was a it's a useful book. I think that was gay revolution. It was, it's a useful book. But then I read another one that was just about four hundred pages long, and um. They gave me a chronological, not necessarily. They, they they gave me a chronological, um arrangement. But they started from, the beginning of time. They started from Greek. They started from Roman. They they gave me like the Christian part, um. But in books like that, you have to be very particular about... Because they are basically summarizing for you. And the only reason why I was able to get the key points was because I had, I had read The Gay Revolution. But I, now that I know that I have to pay attention to smaller books, I think I'll pay the price of paying attention to smaller books. Than reading books and feeling like shit when I only read halfway. Because I want to be able to say I finished the book. So from next week, by the time I'm choosing books... And this week i didn't have the time a lot of time to choose the books i wanted to read so it was it was crappy next time i'll sit down choose books and even choose them not just by topic and timeline and all of that i'll choose them by the number of pages you cannot come and just my life because i want to educate myself okay that's it um that's just what i think read as many books as you want with as many pages as you want you are probably not reading two books per day so can do as you please. Um love you. Bye. Bye bye.